are members of North Clay, uh, I've often said, if you want to figure out where I'm coming from, if you'll just master Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, and allow it to master you, that's even better, then you'll know exactly where I am coming from. So open your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 10 in just a moment. It's good to have uh, a colleague, a fellow pastor here with us today, Brother Herman Pear and his wife Linda. Uh, if you've interacted any with the Birmingham Baptist Association, uh, you may know Miss Linda. And uh, Herman was the first person really to expose me to missionary work in Romania about 20-something years ago uh, when he was pastoring over in Pinson at Agape uh, Baptist Church. And we've got a number of mutual friends that have been involved over there for quite a, quite a few years. So it's good to have you all today. Thank you for being with us here at North Clay Baptist Church. We're in the midst of what we have done uh, over a number of years, our Reformation Celebration series, usually what we do is zero in what I think summarizes uh, much of the genius of the gospel recovery movement that flowed through Martin Luther. Now again, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you heard uh, uh, Josh speak of those who preceded Luther, uh, uh, John Huss, uh, uh, John Wycliffe. Uh, they, they preceded Luther. He wasn't the first. He was in a long line of godly men, and a long line of godly men uh, came after him and bringing uh, clarity and accuracy uh, to the gospel, a gospel that had been largely lost in the visible uh, church of Luther's day, which was namely uh, the Roman Catholic Church. And so I enjoy coming back to to doctrines such as this, because if, if I could be known as anything uh, other than long-winded or, uh, you know, off the chain or a lot of things that maybe that are, that are true of me, I want to be known as an essentialist. Now, I avoid the word fundamentalist because that has such negative connotations, okay? See, I'll let y'all go dance, okay? My, my mom and daddy wouldn't let me go dance, but y'all can go dance if y'all want to, okay? If that's what you you're into. But I'm an essentialist in that I want the essentials of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be on your hearts and on your minds. I think they're the things that are most beautiful of the gospel. There, there are all kinds of things we can fuss and fight about and disagree about. And uh, I'm not going to say they're not important, that not everything is important as other things. But what is important is what we looked at last week. That our source of authority, that when I speak to you, I speak to you with the authority of the Word of God. My opinions, as profound as I think they are, I mean, I really, you know, I could tell you what college football team to pull for, and I could tell you a lot of good things that would be very helpful to you. I could tell you who to vote for in elections and so forth, but I have no authority in those areas, okay? But what is authoritative and final is God's Word, and we're thankful for men like Luther who, who saw to it that we would have a Bible that we could read in a language that we could understand. And then this week I've grouped together uh, three of these concepts called solas or soli. And that is that we believe and we believe the Bible teaches. It really doesn't matter what we believe or I believe. What matters is what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says, okay? That an individual is saved 
by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that, that word alone is very important. We don't add faith or we don't add to Jesus because when we do those things, we actually are subtracting from the work of God. If you're adding something, if you say, well, I'm, I'm saved because of faith and, or Jesus and, you're in a world of spiritual trouble. And then indeed, you're saved by God's grace alone. It's His initiative through which you are saved. It is through your faith alone, not any contribution that you could ever make. And it's through Christ, His work on the cross 2,000 years ago on our behalf that we are saved. And so again, Luther saw that. He recovered that. He saw that what was going on in the Catholic Church, and remember, they were not even reading the Bible or preaching the Word of God in the Catholic Church. Now, Luther was in Germany. They were not even preaching in German. They were conducting their church services in Latin. Now, I speak perfectly good Somerville, Georgia, English which I know those of you in Clay, Alabama can understand, okay? Uh, there ain't that much difference, okay, uh, between my little cotton mill hometown and the, the magnificent suburb of Clay, Alabama. So we understand each other. But what if I came and were speaking Romanian or German or any other type of language? It would be of really no benefit to you. And so we want you to, the gospel is something that is heard and understood, and believed, and received for one's salvation. So all of these things are absolutely crucial. And so let's look at our text this morning. And really the text is chapters, beginning in chapter 1, and goes all the way through 3, but I'm going to zero in on these uh, 10 verses as best we can, and look at these great truths that we celebrate, we proclaim, that we seek to preserve, that salvation is truly and surely by God's grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the, tre and tre in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. It is true. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. We thank you that you have seen to it, that it has been preserved for us. 
We pray that your spirit now would work among us. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And give those who hear the understanding so that they may be strengthened. And if there's someone here that has never received through faith the gift of your salvation through your son Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that you would so work that they would believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, this is really my favorite passage uh, to be found in all of the Bible. Uh, uh, my wife may be sitting here today because of this passage. You know, it's got a lot of power. The first sermon that she heard me preach on a wooden platform in uh, Capuchora, Africa, was this text. Uh, there uh, in kind of a dusty, dirty uh, city in the mountains of Kenya. And so I believe that uh, this is a great place to start, but it may even be, be a better place to continue your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here the Apostle Paul, speaking to believers, says, I want you to remember your previous state. You know, some of us, particularly us Baptists, some of us believers, we get a little too holy for our own britches sometimes, don't we? We look out at the world and we just get all torn up about what the world is doing. Well, it's terrible and we should stand against it. But you know what? The unbelieving world has always acted like the unbelieving world. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They're walking according to the, the spirit of the age. They're under the power of the prince of power of the air. And you are too. And Paul says you need to remember that. You need to think about that every once in a while. Because if it weren't for those, the greatest two words. You ever seen that before? The greatest two words in the English Bible. But God. You ever thought about that? But God, you were walking according to the world and you were enjoying it. You were enjoying living to your own dictates. You were marching to the, your own drumbeat. And God intervened by his grace. He intervened in your life. And you heard the gospel. You believed that gospel. And God saved you. And he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. From darkness unto light. He gave you a heart of flesh where you had a heart of stone. And you believed. And Paul reminds us, listen. Yes, indeed. Saved by grace. Through faith. And that's not, the, the faith is not even of yourself. It's a gracious gift of God that you believe. And it's not of works. As we, when we kind of debrief and, and kind of transition toward the gospel, I try to take the life of Luther. If there was ever anybody that was religious, it was Martin Luther. You remember his story. He was caught in a thunderstorm. He pledged to join a monastery. And man, he was an outstanding monk. Again, if ever, he, he once remarked, if anyone ever, could have ever been saved by monkery, it would have been him because he did everything was demanded of him. And he drove himself literally, seriously, almost to the place of insanity because he saw God as this great ogre that was simply waiting to destroy him, to cast him into hell until he discovered what? The gospel of God's grace. 
he discovered in his studies as they sent him to school, they realized what a brilliant mind Luther had. Little did they know that that brilliant mind would be used by God to once again discover the great glory and beauty and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as his, his eyes settled on Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of the God for the gospel for all who believe the just shall live. felt as if he'd been wholly born again. Guess what? He had been. He came to understand the gospel, that the gospel wasn't a matter of human works. It was a matter of divine works, the work of God in the heart and mind to see the futility of all of our human effort. You know, we talk about, you know, and again, I was raised in a pretty traditional Baptist church, and, you know, you didn't dance, smoke, or chew, or run around with women that do. And and so uh, now, unless you're a Baptist deacon, when you're ordained as a deacon, you can stand out behind Sunday school and smoke. You know, but but that wasn't a sin then. And so uh, go figure. You know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Herman? Okay, I, I, th- I thought you'd recognize that one. And you know, so I there was a sense you, you got you need to repent of what you know common sins. You know, wanting to run around and act like an idiot. But you also got to repent of the things that you think are good things. And Luther had to repent of his religion. He had to repent of trying to please God. He had to repent of trying to mutilate his body so that his sin would be mortified. He had to understand, I must rest in Jesus Christ alone. That he is ultimately my only hope for eternal salvation. And in that, he finally found peace with God. He found what Paul talked about in Romans 5 and Romans 8. Now, because we have faith in Christ, we have peace with God, there is now no condemnation. What had he had felt his whole life? Condemnation, condemnation. You can't do enough. You're not good enough. You're going to hell, but keep trying harder. And Luther discovered this great and glorious gospel. And so we believe that this gospel of grace is a gospel of glorious grace. If you would, take and look back in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes that this whole matter of, of God having chosen us, the believer, before the world was created, okay, uh, he chose us in his Son to bring us to himself according to his will. He does all of it. He chooses to do it in this fashion to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, We'll talk about the, the, the fifth sola next week. The sola Dei Gloria. The glory to God alone. But why does God do what he do, does? Why did God create for his glory? Why does God save for his glory? Why does he save sinners who have no affection for God? Why does he change them into people that have ultimate passion for God? So that we will praise him. For his grace. Why should you remember your sinful state? So that I will realize that he indeed worked in me so that I would love him. That I love him because what? He first loved me. We used to sing a song, a lot of times it was a special. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. You remember that? Uh, and then the kind of the catch line, but it was a greater miracle of love and grace that saved my soul. 
It's a great thing that there's a creation. And I don't understand everything there is to understand about how everything came to be. Other than what Genesis says, God spoke it, and it, it is, and it still is. And I believe that. But how did he save my wretched soul? How did he change me from someone that was a, a fairly decent kid, but could have cared less about the things of God, and was somebody that wanted to please God and serve God? I didn't do it. I didn't decide to do it. I wanted to run with the wild crowd. But God, but God, it's praise-worthy grace in that he loved us. And in him, look at verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. That is, we have been purchased out of the slave market of sin, and he has forgiven us out of the abundance of his own grace. Why does God save? He saves us out of an intrinsic aspect of his own character. God is gracious, and he wants us to praise him forever. Revelation 4 and 5, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people from Romania, from Kenya, from Tanzania, from Guatemala, from wherever the gospel is proclaimed, they will gather in one day, one day together in one tongue. We will praise the glory of his grace together, and we'll never weary of singing that. Yeah, there's a little praise song. I could sing of his love forever. Well, one day you will. One day you will. One of the coolest things that happens on, on mission trips, and it really didn't happen on this trip in Romania, the, the songs that they sang were, were tunes we didn't recognize, okay? I mean, they were good lyrics and, and, and so forth, but, but we didn't recognize the tune. But it's a great thing when they, you go into a foreign country and they sing, for example, Amazing Grace, a tune that you recognize, they're singing it in your la their language, and you're singing it in yours. And it, it just, I don't know, it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. I remember being in Tanzania in 2004, walking into a pastor's conference, 200 African pastors sitting there, and they, they got tired of waiting, and instead of griping and moaning like American Baptist pastors, uh, they started singing praises to the Lord. And they were singing, and I cannot for the life of me remember what they were singing. But I grabbed my video camera, and I started singing with them. And, I mean, it, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience as we sang together about God's glorious grace. And so it is a praiseworthy grace. It's a necessary grace. Why? Because, look at here. Back in chapter 2, verse 1, we're walking according to the course of the world. The, the world is, is an attractive thing. The world is good at selling its values, and, and, and it's, it's good in pressing people into its mold. And we lived this way, and we lived, and remember, we always, you lived like you wanted to live. You found pleasure in the ways of the world. It may have been a very moral way of the world. It doesn't mean that you are out doing the terrible things that we normally think of that unbelievers do. You may have been a goody two-shoes. How many of y'all were goody two-shoes? I want to make fun of you. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, my wife was a goody two-shoes. She really was. Yeah, I wasn't. Okay. But, uh, yeah. But, but even if you're a moral person, if you're an unbeliever, you're still walking according to the dictates 
of the world. And so this grace is necessary. It is necessary to incline your heart to believe the gospel, to to repent. We're in this state, we often speak of total depravity, or pervasive depravity, or radical depravity. That is, we're unable. doesn't mean we can't keep, keep from killing people. doesn't mean we have to get drunk every night. That's not what it means. It means I'm unable to please God. That's what Luther found out. He could, he could get down on his bare knees on an old rock floor in his room and stay there all night till his, till his, till his knees bled. He could, he could go out and do the same thing in the forest in the middle of the winter in, in sub-freezing temperatures to the point of almost dying. And he could do all these things thinking that he could mortify his own flesh and, and, and do away with his sinful nature. But none of that would do it. It's only of the grace of God. It's only but when God acts by his grace. It's a powerful grace. Look there at verse 4. We're by nature children of wrath, verse, verse 3. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved. God loved us, his enemies. But God demonstrated his love for us. Even then, while we were yet sinners, he died. Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. Not for the good folks. He died for the people that knew they're sinners who need a Savior. And so, God acted powerfully and notice how he goes on to explain it we were dead even when luther was trying to be religious he was dead because he was trying to accomplish salvation through human effort and you will listen your effort toward achieving salvation on your own will stand in the way of your receiving salvation like say you got to repent of your good works just as much as you got to repent of your bad works because our good works are what filthy rags They're a stench in the nostrils of God. And so, we were dead. And guess what? We were made alive. Got it. There is a moment in time. You may not really can define it. I don't demand that, 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 you know, okay, on July 6, uh, 1956 or whatever, you know, I I became a Christian. Some people can. They can say, hey, there's the moment. I was at this church service. I was at that service. This person visited my house. But sometimes you, you just realize, you know what? God has changed my life. There was, a, there, there was a time that I was not interested in the things of God, and now I'm interested in things of God, and I am resting in Jesus Christ. I am resting in him for my eternal salvation. See, it's kind of it's like this. I've done this for you before. But this powerful grace, imagine this is the unbeliever. This unlit candle. This candle could care less if it's ever lit. It has no desire to ever be lit. Now, I know this is an inanimate object. Human beings are not inanimate, but they are dead in trespasses and sin. In their natural state, they do not want to be Christians. They do not want to deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they may not want to go to hell. Uh, They may want to be a deacon at the church or teach a Sunday school class or they may want to do a lot, play, play in, a, play in a, a praise band, you know. I guess you can play in a praise band on Sunday morning and unlike playing in a garage band on Saturday night, you don't have a hangover. So it's you know, kind of a better deal. Yeah, yeah. So, but the unbeliever does not want the things of God. That's their nature. They're doing what they want to do, okay. 
And the grace of God, and God, you can imagine, is like this. And the candle is not saying, come please light me. Come on, baby, light my fire. He's not singing that. He's not singing that. But God, even while the candle did not want to be lit, comes. My hands, can you see how shaky my hands are? And God comes, and he lights that candle. He lights that unbelieving heart. He gives that person the eyes to see. He gives that person the heart to believe, the mind to understand. And what do they do? They believe the gospel. They believe the gospel. God has so changed them that now they rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, but God, even when you were dead in trespasses and sin, he came. That's why he can say, by grace you have been saved. It's through faith, but it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. It's not something you did. It's something. Well, well, God don't misfire. I never can get these things to do right there. But God doesn't misfire. God has the spark to ignite the dead human heart. So, but God, glorious grace. It is a gracious Faith, that is, it's supernaturally empowered. What do we consistently do? We preach the truth of the gospel. You remember, if you were here Wednesday night, and you should be, you should have been, even though I was not in very good voice. I'm better today, thank God. I can preach longer than 12 minutes this morning. So um, we talked about the parable of the soils. And, and one of the kind of the truth that comes out is you sow the seed everywhere. Even if it doesn't look like good ground, you sow the seed. You sow that seed. And God's in charge of the harvest. We preach the Word so because faith comes by hearing that the Word of God is the imperishable seed of the new birth. We sow. We're the sowers. But I cannot bring to fertilization. I can't bring to fruition. That is ultimately and that is finally the work of Almighty God. We sow. We sow among people who are dead in trespasses and sin. How I wish that every person in Clay, Alabama that was dead in their trespasses and sin would sit in this broom today and I could sow gospel seed upon them. I have confidence in Almighty God that He would bring some of those seeds to ultimate fruition. That is salvation of their souls. But it is a supernatural act of God. It is a miracle. It's a greater miracle than hanging the world in space. And so our faith is supernaturally empowered. We're born again by the grace and the mercy and the power of God. One, uh, uh, in, uh, you know, when I said open your Bibles, when I stepped up in the pulpit in Romania, some of those dear, loving saints of God that were with me, when I said, open your book Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, you should have seen the eyes rolling. I don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. But I preached a message from Romans 5, peace with God. And then that night, I, I thought I was off. And the preacher said, oh, Tim, you're preaching. And so I preached on the new birth. Listen, folks, you must be born again doesn't say you must be religious doesn't say you must be baptized you must be a church member you must be a good person you must be born again through the hearing of the gospel 
God works supernaturally to give you the ability to believe that gospel so that you are saved. And so, what must be believed? Well, very simply, you got to believe you're lost. You know, a lot of great preachers have said, let me tell you something, if I'm working with an unbeliever, I'm going to spend 90% of my time even preaching the law, convincing them they're lost. A person who is not lost does not need a Savior. A person that is not desperate in their sin will never renounce all to claim the Savior. You remember, I guess the final good Indiana Jones movie, uh, the, the one where they're going after the Holy Grail. And at the end of the movie, uh, Andy is kind of uh, sucked into this, this hole, you know, to go to the bottomless pit, the abyss, uh, so to speak. And, and he's trying to reach down. The grail is there on a little ledge just below him. And so he's holding on to the real James Bond, Sean Connery, his daddy. Now, that's the real James Bond. Y'all know that, don't you? He's holding Sean, his daddy's hand, Dr. Jones, and he's trying to reach the cover. He's trying to reach. And Sean Connery says, you can't. You've you got to take both hands and you've got to grab hold of me. And finally, Andy understands. He said, I can't have both the grail and life. He gives up the pursuit of the grail to put everything, every hope he has in his father to pull him out of the abyss. That kind of illustrates salvation. We must grab with our whole self. We can't be trying to, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to do this, and I'm going to try to do that, and I'm going to, you know... No, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of your grace. I have no claim. There's nothing in me worth saving. It is all of your grace, and I rest in what you did for me 2,000 years ago. You went to a cross at Calvary. They nailed you to a tree outside the gates of Jerusalem. You died in my place. You redeemed me from my sin. Your blood satisfied the wrath of God for me. They placed you in a tomb, and three days later, you rose from the dead. And one day, you'll return for me. You must have saving faith. We talk a lot about saving and non-saving faith. James makes very clear the demons believe. The demons believe. The, the demons are orthodox. They know their Bibles. They believe every word of it, probably. The, I'm sure, Herman, you probably heard this. The old-time evangelist used to talk about missing heaven by 18 inches, the difference between your head and your heart. You can know an awful lot about Jesus and still be And believe it to be true. He's the Savior. He's virgin born. He's coming back. He died on the cross. You can believe all that. But there's a faith that works that involves both the intellect. I hear it and I understand it. But it begins to affect the affections. This is the one I love and I, I serve. That, that it goes beyond just mere knowledge. That it moves the will. It inclines our being for service, for obedience. That's the testimony to save. Save by faith alone. But what does Paul say about that faith? It's a faith that will work. It's not a result of works. But we're now God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to obey. He is working in us to will and to work according to His 
good purpose. That's saving faith. And it's faith in Jesus Christ. I got wax on my shirt. Goodness. Got a job to do. And finally, it's faith in Christ alone. You know, I, I don't get to pronounce who's in and who's out, so to speak. Uh, one movement that's gaining traction has always been around in, in the church. If you ask the question in any conservative, supposedly Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Baptist church, what about all those innocent people in Africa who've never heard about Jesus? Well, you know, I'm, they're probably the good ones who are going to go to hell. I mean, go to heaven. No. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says they're guilty. Read Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. That's why we preach God. I mean, if there were another way to get into heaven other than through the hearing of the gospel, why waste our time doing missions? We might do the people in Africa a greater disservice. My, the ones that heard the gospel and rejected it would be in worse shape than the ones that never heard. So why go? And so I, I don't know if those that think there are other ways can be saved. I, I'm not going to speak to that. But let me tell you this. Jesus Christ himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except explicitly through me. We preach Jesus and him crucified. The one mediator between God and man. He is the one man who has solved our problem. He is the God who can forgive sins. I, I love the passages in the gospel where Jesus in his you know, in, incarnation, he'll have those, 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 you know, bunch of religious folks around. They probably weren't Baptists. They were probably Presbyterian. They were, they were kind of stiffs, you know, religious stiffs. Probably, you know, maybe a few Episcopalians in there. And so Jesus, I love, he just sticks it to them. I love it. He looks at the man on the mat, on the bed that's paralyzed, and says, your sins are forgiven. Man, those, those guys, those religious hypocrites, they got it. Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus first said, duh! I am him. I am he. I am. I and my father are one. I can forgive sins. And that's what I came to do. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. But I love that because it ticks them off so bad. And Jesus never backed down. He never backed down. That Jesus is the God who what? Can forgive my sins. You know, I've, I've found that in life, we have a lot of problems, can't we? And they're serious. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making light of them. The loss of loved ones or relational issues or financial, they're, they're serious. I'm not, you know, they're, they're tough. They hurt. But let me tell you something. And let me, let me tell you something. I will defend and fight tooth and nail to my death in the atoning work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is not the promise that you will be healed or be prosperous in the temporal sense in this life. He promises to forgive your sins. And that is a far greater gift than anything that could be given to us in this life. Let me tell you something. If you've got a place to sleep tonight and food to eat when you leave here, it's a gift of God. I get that. It is. 
But never think that by coming to Christ, he's going to resolve all your problems in his life. Sometimes you'll have more problems after Jesus than before him. Look at Martin Luther. His life was filled with trauma from the time he pronounced the true gospel and believed that true gospel until the day he died. And so, Jesus Christ solves our greatest problem. That is the reality. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We do not have life. We're zombies. I know there's a lot of fascination with zombies, and that seems to be a fitting metaphor for the unbeliever. Not quite dead, but not really alive. Now, dead in trespasses and sin, but God, by His grace, makes us alive. We hear and believe that gospel. That's what He says of the Ephesians. You're the first fruits, and you heard that gospel, and you believed, and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit when you believed. Saved by God's grace through faith in what Jesus did, that Jesus did indeed pay it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your grace, for your truth, for the message of your gospel, Lord. I pray that those who believe it have, have been strengthened and encouraged by the great truth of their salvation, of your accomplishment at the cross. Those who have yet to believe it, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts. Work powerfully, work deeply. Convict of sin, Lord. And I pray that in these moments, Lord, that you would so work that they indeed would believe. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.